Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder and I am in Culebra Cigar Lounge. I think that's how you say it, Culebra. Culebra. In, we're in Ontario, right? Ontario, yeah. California. Yeah, it's right by the Ontario Mills, the giant mall out here. And the voice you hear is our guest today, Ethan Nicole. Now, Ethan, our Holy Smokes group are hu- overwhelmingly are huge fans of the Babylon Bee. Nice. And so you are the creative director? That's the title. When, when I came on as their second ever employee, Yeah, they said, uh, just figure out what title you want to give yourself. <laughs> so I Googled... I Googled titles on magazines and newspapers and stuff like that, and I found editor-in-chief was already taken by Kyle, the other guy. So yeah. the next one down was creative director, which kind of worked because I do a lot of the photoshopping. I'm designing the new book we're doing. So I do a lot of the visual creative stuff too. But just like everybody else, when I write, I pitch headlines, and um, I do the podcast. So, Well, first question. First okay. off, thanks, off for, thanks for being a part of thanks this. Thanks for having me. I, I love it. And first question. What you smoking? Well, <laughs> I am a, I love Rocky Patels, um, and so I am smoking the. I believe it's the. It's just a 1992. I thought it was the Connecticut. It's the Black Wrapper, 1992. Rocky nice. Patel. Nice. And then I have an H Upman Banker. It's my first banker from H Upman, so I'm, okay. I've, I've thought about getting a <laughs> getting banker. a box. Does that mean there's for, a bunch of like hundred dollar bills inside of it? I, <laughs> not for the price I paid. <laughs> so, Ethan, we'll we'll get to the B in a little bit, but I'm just fascinated with your story. I've been listening. You have a podcast, Audio Mullet. Mm-hmm. You've written some books. You've illustrated. You're a very talented illustrator. Thank you. And uh, you, a number of different books. Tell our listeners about your story. You grew up in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. I'm from small town Oregon, a little area called Coos Bay, which I was from all over all over that area. Little towns. Coos Bay was the main, the big, the big city to us. Not the big city; it's the main town. But then, you know, Portland was the really big city to us. Yeah, it was and like a four-hour drive. So Coos Bay is it's, it's like southern on the coast, Oregon, southern Oregon coast. Yeah, I, I just remember someone in the Holy Smokes group posting that they were in Coos Bay, and I was looking to try and really? figure out where it was because yeah. I, I know some guys in Portland that, I, and and also um, a friend of mine just moved about an hour south along the coast, hmm. and so uh, so I was going to introduce them, but I was like, ah, it's a little too far for them to mm-hmm. be introduced. But yeah, yeah, I grew up. In that area, I mean, I, around age seven, we lived in Colorado when I was really young, but I don't have many memories of it. But Where uh, in Colorado? Yeah, uh, a little area called Bennett, which is outside of Denver. I used to coach high school football, and we played Bennett. One oh, year. yeah? My, my, my last year that I coached. <laughs> I went we, back we one, when we went to visit my grandfather just before he passed on his 90th birthday. Yeah, I went back to check out the town. It was so crazy how much, how tiny it was compared to what I remembered. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Tie, it's it nothing. Is- it's it, almost it, just a little patch of houses. Yeah, for people that aren't familiar with Colorado, Bennett is pretty much straight east of Denver. I'd say probably about 30 minutes. Yeah. Very rural. Super rural. Very small town, farmer town. So my family always had a thing for rural. We, we, you know, It was never even really in their heads to go anywhere, any big cities type stuff or anything. So yeah, I grew up in the small town. I always loved drawing just from the moment I could touch a pencil. I just always did it. I always loved it. I don't remember starting. Some people always ask me, when do you start? I, I don't remember, you know. I always had the passion to 
get better at it. So I would get books yeah. on how to do it. And so yeah, uh, I don't know. I want to tell my whole life story here, but I what kind of got me to move eventually to LA was that I had started doing comics and one of my comics had been published uh, I got invited to start pitching TV shows to Cartoon Network and then my first TV show got optioned and that got my foot in the door what show was that? Uh, it, was, it was called Snub Nose and Pug it got option does not mean made yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I've had many sh- or m- not many but multiple shows optioned and none made <laughs> except for Axe Cop as we'll probably talk about but Anyway, so I was in Hollywood trying to, you know, pitch more shows, do more comics, and um, really not sure what I was doing myself, single. So I'm, I'm living in this tiny studio uh, rental, I'm just renting a room for this old couple, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I make this comic. I go, I go home for Christmas and I make this comic called Axe Cop, and I, I just a page with my five-year-old brother who's 24 years younger than I am. Yeah. Uh, we're just goofing off. I'm actually trying to get my head out of this trying to make it thing. You know, I'm trying to just have fun with my little brother. Yeah. I wasn't even planning to draw anything on that trip. I was trying to take a break, you know. And, uh, uh, just excited about this idea where he he said, let's play Axe Cop together with this toy axe. And just whatever he, he said, I'd ask him all these questions and piece together a story. Got excited about it, and I just kind of sloppily drew a comic. The original reason I made the Axe Cop website was to test out comics web comics and see you know just to dip my toe in the water and to work out the kinks because I had another comic in the works called Bearmageddon and I wanted to get it right when I released it yeah so we put this kind of thrown together Axe Cop website up and it went viral and so that's kind of like the launching thing I'm like known as the Axe Cop guy now it ended up becoming a TV show on Fox was, uh, which like is available books. which is available on Hulu it's all on if Hulu people, if people want to stream mm-hmm. I streamed the first one last night and I was like Oh my gosh! I, my boys and I love stupid humor, yeah. and and so as soon as I get back to Colorado, we're going to start binge watching Axe Cop. <laughs> yeah, it's very unhinged. It's uh, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec, known as uh, for being playing Ron Swanson, as the voice of Axe Cop. There's a lot of amazing voices in the show, and it's yeah, it's super unhinged. It's like uncensored five year old. So it's like you let a five year old just make up stories, and you don't tell him, no, no, we don't chop heads off. You just go, okay, chopped his head off. Then what? <laughs> <laughs> That's Axe Cop. He chops people's heads off like crazy. That's his whole way he fights crime. So. <laughs> so when you started making the TV show, was mm-hmm. your little brother a creative consultant on the show? Uh, he wasn't, because he still lived up in rural Washington, which is where my dad lives with my um, other siblings and my stepmom. And so we would actually call him, we'd, if we'd hit a rut on a story idea... We put him on conference, and <laughs> there was one time where we, we called him to get an idea for an ending, how he would end this. A lot of times it was endings. We needed an idea for just to go over the top. Yeah, there was one time the whole staff started to crowd into the room around the... He had no idea. He thought he was just talking to me, and he just is going off this whole crazy scenario. Telescope gun cop shoots this gun into the air, and uh, it frees all the bad guys from prison, and they all come running to help him and all this stuff. <laughs> Just this insane ending that he wrote, and it never got. I think parts of it may have gotten used, but it was just when he finished, he got this loud, rousing applause. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a crazy experience. It was weird. I, I did feel like I was really trying to be protective of him during that, and I think it all worked out. I mean, you know, Axe Cop stayed small enough that it never felt like I was exploiting my little brother. You know, we'd we'd have little moments where we we're like at Comic Con and we're like celebrities for a day, but it, it wasn't like a life of celebrity. It was just like 
here and there. You go to a comic convention, suddenly everybody knows who you are. But then you just go back to normal life. So he'd kind of just say, he'd tell people that he met and be like, you know, we're famous. But <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> it's funny the way that he, he didn't even know what it meant, you know. <laughs> were you born and raised in a Christian home? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. My, my mom was raised Roman Catholic and my dad was kind of this born-again Pentecostal guy. And so they were kind of uh, compromising and going to like a, a, a community church. But then my parents divorced when I was eight. So my dad went Pentecostal, back to Pentecostal, and my mom went to Catholic. So we were with them alternating weekends. So on the weekends I was with my dad, who was actually homeless at the time. We would live in his van and go to his Pentecostal church. <laughs> and then with my mom we'd be going through catechism. So I was seeing both sides, which was le- I think led to a lot of confusion for a kid. But it also led me to kind of find faith for myself because I, I was starting to feel like God was bipolar <laughs> through the two types of worship, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I had an interesting launching. And I, so I kind of disowned my faith, self-proclaimed atheist in like junior high, which I think is pretty typical. And then in high school, I came to Christ through young life um, and stuck with it since, yeah. So where'd you go to school? Um, you mean like high school or college? Did you? I didn't go to college. You didn't go? Okay. <laughs> I started uh, community college back in Coos Bay. I had a, yeah. I had a full ride for that, but I just didn't like the art program, and I kind of just decided I only wanted to go if I could find a good art program, a good school, and a scholarship because I didn't want to go into debt for art. Yeah. I just felt like that was foolish. Wow. <laughs> so I did. How old are you now? Yeah. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Okay, so you're about my little brother's age. And my wife's age, and so that's pretty remarkable for someone in you know the late '90s. I assume is mm-hmm. when you graduated high school, probably '97, '98, '98, and uh, to kind of understand that idea of coming out of school with debt. I just grew up in a really poor family, yeah, and large amounts of debt already. At that, I mean, I already had accumulated some debt just on credit cards and stuff, and I had like put myself out of. I had had a van because I was in a band, mm-hmm. and I. Uh, What'd you play? I played bass and I sang. I sing. Yeah. I got in a wreck. I backed into somebody, one of friends, my friend's car, and the insurance was going to make my my insurance payment was going to be so high I couldn't afford the payments on the van and the insurance, and so I actually put myself out of having a van for like I sold the van. Yeah. I didn't get as much as I owed on it, so I spent a year walking and paying the van off. I just had this fear of debt after that and wow. a, a bad credit card thing. And wow. the numbers that you hear for school, that, that amount just sounded overwhelming to me. And, this, and I already knew the reality. I had been work, kind of working independently as an artist on the side, even though I was doing pizza delivery and I was working in a sign shop and doing all this stuff. But I just knew the reality that, like, the reality of making really good money in art, it's like I didn't know how I was going to do that. And I don't know. So, yeah, that, that was just my mindset. <laughs> I did not want to go into debt for that. So how did you end up then in Southern California? When I got my first TV show optioned, I had been talking a lot with my friend Doug Tadaple, who was at the time really, I was more of a fanboy. Um, he was kind of my, my Obi-Wan. And uh, I had been communicating with him on the internet a lot. and Because uh, he was one of the only Christians in the industry, at least outspoken in comics. He created Earthworm Jim, the video game. But he makes all these graphic novels, and he's very, a very original voice. Uh, he expresses his faith in his own way, you know, which yeah. is kind of rare in Christianity. We all kind of have our approved cultural ways we we express our faith. 
he's doing it with all these alien stories and you know all this weird humor and uh, so he instantly became kind of a hero and uh, how'd you meet him? through uh, my very first time going to San Diego Comic Con yeah I had never been to any comic convention in my life and in my hometown I was the best artist in town you know I mean that sounds really cocky to say it's a small town yeah and maybe I wasn't but I mean I was known I was known for my art it was like you know I could people just knew me for it you know so I thought if I walked into San Diego Comic Con I could just show my art and they go oh yeah here's a job I just figured it was a matter of time before I got my job as a comic book artist yeah and uh so I had money saved up to go to San Diego Comic Con for the first time. I actually lost my job, so I couldn't spend it. But then a friend of mine who was a therapist that was uh, a physical therapist who I was renting a room from at the time really wanted me to go, so he paid my way. And so I went. I got in all these long lines to show my portfolio and realized that I was in these giant long lines with amazing artists who blew me out of the water. And realized that I was just not anywhere near ready to make it in this industry. So sad and dejected, I looked at, I just kind of found a random thing on the program, and I found a panel that said Creature Tech, which is a comic that Doug Tenaple did. I thought it was going to be like Creature Puppets or something, so I went and sat down. It was just a guy talking about his story and his comic. It yeah. was Doug Tenaple. Yeah. And that was to, now looking back, that's why I went to that Comic-Con, was to meet Doug. He really became a mentor to me. And, uh, and so, yeah, he started up a forum on his website. That was around... 2001 or 2 or something yeah. quite a ways back and uh, so I kept in contact with him through that became part of his kind of little online groupie club <laughs> <laughs> and every year at Comic Con we'd meet and get together and uh, so he kind of watched me grow from you know my first book which took me like years and was terrible and then he saw you know, I, I made my first book that uh that actually got published and it got an Eisner nomination, which is, you know, Eisner's are the, they're the big award in comics, you know. Yeah. So yeah, he was just kind of there the whole way, giving me, giving me tips and pointers and we also just kindred spirits. So he kept telling me to move to LA and when I finally got a TV show optioned, yeah, I had, I was from Oregon City where I was living near Portland and that was when I finally decided, all right, I got to do it. I'm living in an attic above a garage. I got nothing going on in my life. The band I was in broke up. We were, yeah, trying to make it a career it wasn't working out, and I just had nothing. So, all right, so I just th- I shoved everything I could fit into my little two door car and moved down to L.A. And now here I am. <laughs> so when you get down here, um, what was it like for you to be small town Oregon kid with big dreams of L.A.? What was what was that journey like? Those first, especially those first, you know, couple of years. Um, well, I had spent a couple years living in Portland, so I at least live in, lived in a bigger city, even though now that I'm in L.A., Portland seems like a small town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's totally. crazy. Yeah. Portland seems very quaint. Um, yeah, it was wild. I mean, I moved here, and I really didn't know what to expect. I just found this couple that had a studio, just a room in their house. Yeah. Uh, for rent that already had furnished it was already furnished with like a little day bed and like a tiny desk and uh, it was the smallest little space I showed up at like 2am I drove the whole way in one drive and they I just went in and rented the place and you know it just kind of we hit it off and Doug was the only person I really knew in the area I knew a couple other artists from online so it kind of started off that way 
and then I just did eHarmony because I didn't know how I was going to, I was still single and so I did a lot of eHarmony and uh, we started, me and Doug started a group called the Chestertonians because we, we love reading G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. And that was big. Uh, it really grew fast. And it, we got all these guys that love cigar smoking, Christians, Catholics. Um, we'd all get together on Sundays after church, read Chesterton, smoke cigars and pipes, and drink whiskey and beer. And uh, the, the group grew so big that we had to cut it off because it got to be like, you know, 20, 25 people cramming in Doug's backyard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so that was a really cool really cool group probably something like a holy smokes gathering like we just we became very close and it was very um you know because a lot of us more conservative leaning too which is rare in, in hollywood and everything so it was kind of this cool little group of uh who felt kind of like outcasts in the industry we didn't really fit in with the industry but we fit in this little group and uh, we just had the best time you know just conversations some about cigars make you have better conversations Oh my goodness, totally, totally. So how'd you get into cigars? Once again, Doug Tenaple. <laughs> the funny thing is, I don't know how into, him he, into cigars he was, when he, but he would talk about them on, his, on the forum every now and then, and at, the, at that time I had thought, wait a minute, Christians can't smoke cigars, that's, that's evil. And that was kind of one of the first things that, well, we got like a loud... We're, we're, we're in a private lounge conference room at... Culebra Cigar Company yeah, in Ontario, California. And yeah. uh, thanks to Matt and the team for letting us hole up here and mm-hmm. uh, get this done. Uh, this is a really, really cool, cool spot. Yeah, it's just brand new. There's leather chairs everywhere. It's one of the few places in Southern California that's like open. It's not tiny and small. Yeah. There's lots of seating. It's very clean and nice. So yeah, I highly recommend it if you're in the Inland Empire. Yes. But I guess they got some kind of AC or something that's cleaning the air out or something. Who knows? Yeah. What was I talking about? So, so Doug got you <laughs> oh, yeah. into Doug got so you into cigars. He was talking cigars. about it. It was kind of the first thing that kind of challenged my, uh, or made me start to realize there are cultural Christian things that actually aren't in the Bible anywhere that we've kind of created little rules about. So we've added. I think Charles Spurgeon would say we added commandments. That was when he. When people were upset with him for smoking, he'd say, "I don't know why you want to add to the Ten Commandments. I think there's already enough in there." And uh, and so that was kind of my, you know, when I, I when I started throwing off my culture Christianity, and I also I'd always been curious about cigars and pipes because my grandpa had smoked them, and something I just decided I really wanted to try it. The and, grandpa uh, in Bennett's? Yep. Okay. He's actually yeah, he's Denver, but yeah. Okay. Um, so, I lived in this small town with no cigar shops anywhere. I had heard that they sold cigars <clears throat> at the golf course, which is about 20 minutes out of town. Mm-hmm. So, one day I just drove out there, and I asked if they sold cigars anywhere. And this guy, the guy goes, uh, you come with me. And he walks me like through all this backstage, back area offices downstairs to this little office of his where all this nice stuff is I think he I don't know if he's like a manager there yeah he opens up his private thing and he goes uh, this is what we got here and he goes and he just hands me a punch and he goes there, there you go and he just gave it to me and I was like I don't owe you for this he's like oh it's fine and, 
Yeah, we wow. usually have more than this, but uh, I guess that there's just something they don't actually have a shop and they don't actually sell these. So they just give them yeah. samples there and they yeah they have them for the guests or something. I don't know. I yeah, because it's a really fancy, rich uh, golf course. Yeah. So I took that punch. I went and parked my car and smoked it with the windows down, <coughs> and I got like I nearly I nearly threw up. I got so sick. <laughs> but something about it I really enjoyed, and. Uh, I had been taking drawing classes in Eugene, um, just learning figure drawing. So I'd drive yeah. out for drawing. Yeah. You know, that was one thing. If I wasn't going to go to college, I was going to just at least train myself in whatever way I could. So I was getting books, and I was going out. I knew that figure drawing was a huge thing you need to learn. So I was going out for figure drawing classes in Eugene in my little car I had bought for like 200 bucks that broke down every time I did this trip. And uh, But I'd stop at this little cigar shop out there and, and try to stock up on what I, what I could afford. So. That got me into it, and then I started, uh, I went on this forum, um, what was it called? I think it was just called Stogie, I can't remember what it was. It was this cigar smoker forum I just found, and I Googled it. And I became, over time, I became known on the forum as the artist, because I would, who drew everybody's avatars. And That's awesome. And so guys would have, they'd have all these inside jokes about each other. So then they'd want me to draw the other guy. So they'd private message me and be like, okay, you draw that guy. Here's all the jokes I want to work into it. And then they're like, and I always did it just for cigars. So suddenly I was getting, they call it sending a bomb. I don't know if you guys know that within mm -hmm. the Holy Smokes, but they have all these terms. So bombing somebody means they don't know what's happening. A package shows up and it's full of cigars. And then you just share what you got on, on That's the forum. Awesome. I was getting it became almost like a competition to see who could bomb my my name was Eve on the forum yeah to see who could bomb Eve the most because I was my cartoons become so popular so I'm this guy with like not making hardly any money I'm not I can't afford these cigars these guys are sending me all these Cuban cigars and all these nice That's super awesome. expensive cigars I you know I have to buy a humidor just to try to handle all of them you know and uh, so that was like my big jump in and then one thing I did, I knew that Doug liked Monte Cristos. Uh, when I made my first book, I really wanted to get him to write me a blurb for the back cover. So I got this this guy on there. I, I told them the guys on there, like, I really need to get somebody. This this guy, some like Cuban Monte Cristos. Like I really want to impress him, send him with the book, and try to get him to send me a review. Yeah. And so this guy, they gave me this drawing thing I did, and and then they they bombed me with this massive blister pack of all these. Cuban Monte Cristos, they had the years written on them and everything. Oh it had to be, I don't know how much money that thing had to be worth. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I just sent that off to Doug with sent it off to Doug with the book. The book was terrible, but Doug still kindly wrote me the best review he could of it. Yeah. What <laughs> but, book was uh, that? It was called The Weevil. It was uh, really kind of my learning, my learning project. It's my first hundred page book. Super over detailed, uh, confusing story, but um, we all need to get our first project out of the way, I think, especially when you're trying to be a writer artist. We overcomplicate things. So the next thing I did was very simple. It was called Chumble Spuzz. This very silly comic I did in like three months, and that was the thing that got me published and Eisner nominated and kind of put me on the map in the industry. So, That's yeah. cool. That's awesome. So you have, I think it's nine books available on Kindle. So you have six Axe Cop books. Um, and then you have, 
you have this weird fascination with bears. Yeah. Because well, you have Bear-mageddon, you have a book called Bears Want to Kill You, The Authoritative Guide to Survival in the War Between Man and Bear. Right, that's my latest book. And then Dickinson Kildeer's Guide to Bears of the Apocalypse, <laughs> Ursine Abominations of the End Times and How to Defeat Them. <laughs> So Bear-mageddon was kind of my passion project. It was yeah. like my Shaun of the Dead with bears, like my comedy horror uh, movie idea. <clears throat> so I've been working on it. I'm, I actually just published a page the other day. I've been putting out for years now. Yeah. And so I've always done it. It's always most, almost always been my experiment. It's, uh, it's just an ongoing story about some slackers who get caught in a world with bears. And I, you know, web comics are very tricky to promote. Axe Cop I lucked out with. So I started coming up with ways to promote my comic, Bear-mageddon. Um, and I started creating these bear memes. Um, there's a couple that have gone like super viral, like front page of Reddit type stuff. And so I created a website. I actually was a fan of the Babylon Bee. So I turned, uh, I had a friend of mine who helped me build websites. I said, see this Babylon Bee site? I want to make this, but for bear news. So I created the Bear-mageddon news network. And then I'd put a news story out every day some stupid infographic or whatever. So I did that for like a year. And some of those went really viral. They, they were much more popular than my actual comic, but it got a lot of people to find out about my comic. And so I actually uh, eventually decided I wanted to do a Kickstarter and really to kind of experiment with the process, I wanted to try something out that I knew I could just crank out. And I knew I could crank out this bear book because I had all this stuff already made on the site. And so I did a Kickstarter and it was successful, you know, the overfunded and uh, the bear so book I, bears want to bears kill want you. Bears want to kill you. Yep. So I put that out, and uh, yeah, I actually have. I only have about two boxes left of my my first printing, so like I think like sixty books left. So it's almost out. I don't actually have the funding yet for a second printing, but uh, if somebody wants it, you should jump on and get it. Amazon. <laughs> get it on Amazon, and you can also get it on Kindle. Actually, right? bought, yep. I, I bought all, I bought all six Axe Cop books as well as your three Bear books. Nice. And uh, these these are ones I'm going to hand to my boys because this is just funny stuff. I mean, physical attributes of bears. This is one of the quotes <laughs> in the book. Bears are the most impressive and dangerous animals in the universe. While most animals have room to evolve, the bear is the first creature confirmed by science to have actually completed evolution. <laughs> Just, oh, some of the stuff, like the, the bear's sense of smell. The, no, the nose of a bear contains lubricating glands that keep it moist. This moisture traps smells like glue and stores them in a microscopic filing system where every smell the bear has ever smelled is stored and easily recovered like a mental Rolodex of stench. <laughs> if you had Taco Bell and a bear sniffed a pile of your feces, it can not only detect that you ate Taco Bell, anyone can tell that, but you would know exactly what percentage of meat was cow, where the cow was raised, what kind of cologne the farmers wore, <laughs> what kind of grass the cow ate, what, what, what the weather was like, what the cow was thinking when it was slain, and what kind of self-destructive thoughts led you to secretly eat Taco Bell alone in your car at four in the morning. <laughs> you think a lot about myself there. <laughs> this is awesome. So what, that's just a fun, ridiculous book. It's a great, uh, it's a great like bathroom book or a coffee table book. It's, you can, I wanted to make a book you could flip to any page and just get a laugh instantly. And it is indeed that. So going back to Axe Cop, what was it like for you to be, you know, the Christian mm -hmm. 
secretive, secretly, I assume, you probably didn't really kind of announce, I'm a Christian. And yeah. so what was it like for you to be in Hollywood kind of creating the show? I found out after my band ended and then I started having to live normal life again that I was actually an introvert. I didn't realize that because I had been living, my whole social life was my band and all and that interaction. Yeah. And I could, I could function within that where people knew about my music and stuff and then I could start from that starting point. But I had a really tough time with that. Uh, so I, I had this introversion already. I already had this shyness about me. And, even, and then also culturally, um, you know, this is like around when Obama got elected and there was a real post-Bush, Republicans are evil, was really, really strong. I mean, conservatives are evil. I had joined Friends of Abe, which is this group, conservative group in Hollywood yeah. that Gary Sinise started with Doug when I came down here. And it was like quiet, secret meetings, you know, and stuff. Uh, there was a real fear in the air about, you know, admitting that you're a Christian conservative, especially in Hollywood at the time. So, yeah, and, and I hear suddenly my career is taking off, and I'm just like, I was pretty terrified. I was, uh, I just didn't know. I didn't know, and I still don't quite know how, you know, how it's actually taken. I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think there's some of it's paranoia. Um, some of it's definitely val uh, valid. But I do think it, it did hinder me a bit in that I was so quiet and so shy. And in Hollywood, keeping false confidence just goes a long way. Like a real, you need to be the, the guy who's throwing ideas out and confident in the room. And I think that held me back in that area a lot. I think uh, when I look back on how, on how I handled it. I also had this, on top of that, I had this fear of, uh, I didn't want to exploit my little brother. I didn't, my family was this tiny, small-town family living a very simple life. It's not like we were getting invited to San Diego Comic-Con, the biggest comic convention in, the, you know, practically the world, one of the biggest. And, you know, we're invited special guests, so being put up in hotels and stuff and, like, taken on for interviews and stuff like that. And I was just constantly analyzing and thinking, like, when's this going to wear my family out? I need to pick and choose, you know, and... Uh, so that was a concern too. I always felt like well, Axe Cop. I mean, you, you were you were telling me before we started this interview that Axe Cop went viral. The people that were sharing it when when you first went live with it, mm -hmm. just some huge names, and you were getting invited on CNN and NPR and yeah. There was a lot of articles about it. There's a lot of fear of having Malachi actually on programs. We were on some radio shows. We were almost on. I think the CBS Morning Show, one of those morning I shows. I think we talked about it before the interview. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm not sure, I'm not sure we got we, we got into it here. But you, the idea came from your little brother when you were up for Christmas, right? Yeah. Tell, yeah, tell I think that story. we talked about that a bit. Uh, yeah, he was five at the time. I was uh, 29. Yeah. And so he was kind of a. You know, my parents divorced. My dad had moved out to yeah. Washington and started a new family. And he was kind of the surprise kid. So I had two sisters who were about five or six years older than him. And then he was a surprise kid they had. Yeah. And like, oh, we didn't think we had another kid because my dad's like, he was 40 when I was born. Yeah. So he's pretty old when wow. Malachi was born. <laughs> you know, he's like almost, he's hitting late 60s when Malachi's born. Wow. And uh, his wife, Dila, she's... Uh, around four, early 40s when he's born. Yeah. And yeah, so he was a total surprise to the whole family. But this little crazy bundle of energy, hilarious kid. We did some drawings together. I put them in the back of some of the Axe Cop books that show some of the, that show some of the characters we created together. But when he started talking about Axe Cop, 
this is this instant character in my head. I was like, I have to draw this guy. I just had to draw this thing, and we started playing it. I just loved it. I was laughing so hard. I was drawing them. Once we went to bed, I'd sit on my laptop and draw them digitally, you know, just crank out the comic and then share it with my friends. And I was laughing to the point of tears at some of these. But I thought this is because I found my brother so funny. I didn't think it was universal. I thought that this was, to me, I was sharing family be, photographs or something. Just like an inside that, joke. To it's me, like, it's cute. To other people, oh, I get it. Yeah, you're having fun with your brother. Yeah. So I was kind of shocked when it went like, I realized it was universal. Like, it was universal in a way that not just we could all relate to, relate to because we had been kids before. It was also universal in this way that he was finding all these funny tropes without meaning to. Um, and it was also taking comics and entertain, entertainment uh, lightly and just asking the question, what's awesome? What can we do that makes this more awesome? Yeah. Rather than how do we make this more realistic? Which at the time, culturally, comic movies and products, that was their drive. And we were getting, I think culturally, we were getting tired of that. Like, Comic movies weren't. You know, this is before a lot of the Marvel Universe stuff was coming out. This yeah. Is back when it was, you know, the best stuff was like the X Men movies that made it took it really seriously. Yeah. And so, there was this thing in the air that I didn't even quite realize until at that point when I look back, like we wanted to get back to that popcorn film. Comics are for having fun. It's to be a big kid. It's just to ask what's amazing. Riding on a T-Rex with machine guns for arms with an axe in your hand, screaming at the bad guys. Like, that's what you want for comics. And so I think that's why it resonated, too. Well, around that time, Kick-Ass came out as a movie, right? And Yeah, around that time, yep. That probably was part of that move towards a realistic stuff, and you were kind of going the opposite direction. Yeah, well, no, I think Kick-Ass was going for... It was going for realism, but it was also going for comedy, though, too. Yeah. It was a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it was part of the transition, because it was is breaking away from that, like, how do we take, you know, Wolverine and make him as realistic as possible? Like, you know, I think, uh, you know, now, like, you have Guardians of the Galaxy, now you have a talking raccoon, nobody has to explain it, it's just awesome, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff, like, we don't, there was a while there where there was this thing where we had to make it as dark and gritty and serious as we could, and I think that the Marvel Universe especially, they did a good, they did a good job of breaking us out of that. We like... You know, we go to these movies to have fun. Yeah. And uh, I think that's... It's been good. There's been a lot of them, but... <laughs> yeah. So you married? Yep. Kids? My eHarmony adventures finally paid off about three years after, and uh, married a woman out in Rancho Cucamonga named Jessica, and she had two kids already, so I became an oh. instant stepdad. We now have two more, so I have four kids. And uh, yeah, I never saw myself living in Rancho Cucamonga, but here I am. And that's kind of a funny thing that led to when I became a fan of the Babylon Bee and reached out a couple times. Finally, I, I got a hold of Kyle because it, he followed me, uh, the editor in chief, because yeah. he's an Axe Cop fan. And so when I messaged him after he followed me, I was like, hey, I love the Babylon Bee. I'd love to do some Photoshops or whatever. You know, I'm like, I'm seeing you guys' Photoshops. You could use somebody that's a little better at it. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And I just, you know, I had so many jokes. On it. I, so I sent him, like, 30 headline ideas just off the bat. Yeah. You know, and, you know, there's, like, five or six in there he loved, which is now that I've seen how the submissions we get, that's almost unheard of. Like, to get somebody to send in 30 headlines and you have one useful one, it's just, like, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> and uh, so he was pretty excited. Uh, Adam Ford, the guy who created the Babylon Bee, yeah. uh, instantly emailed me and said, hey, you're awesome. We're so happy we found you. 
So I was just writing articles for them immediately. Off the bat, I was writing for, for, for free for the fun of it. And then he paid me for uh, he paid me for photoshops here and there. And then when the bee sold, Adam sold the bee to a guy named Seth Dillon out in Florida. He Seth bought the bee, but he didn't want a creative direct at all. He said, "You guys keep doing what you're doing. I just want to try to make it grow." See if you can monetize because yeah, they yeah. weren't monetizing hardly at all. Just just yeah. ads and not very putting a lot of thought into it. Just yeah. slapping some ads up, and so um, so he put me on as I would just report my hours to him, and uh, so I was kind of contractor for a while. And then when he sold the bee, Kyle came on as as the editor in chief. So I became his. He quit his job in construction and started working full time for the bee, and then I was the next employee. Um, just about a year later, I think, uh, they took me on, and so now we work in a little office out here in the Inland Empire, and uh, we got a podcast going now, and uh, yeah, keeping really busy, putting together a big book, and yeah. So it just, the crazy thing was that Kyle happened to live about five miles from me, that's what I was getting to, like, yeah, strange I was, I was gonna, circumstances. Yeah. Like, if I hadn't lived out here, I don't know that I'd be doing this right now. It just, we happened to live down the road from each other. And so, we I get to work on the Babylon Bee in person. You know, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, t- tell the listeners a little bit more about the history of the bee, because it, it seemed like from me on the sidelines, it was like just all of a sudden, like a couple months after the bee launched, I start seeing friends sharing these various headlines. Yeah. Now I grew up just north of Madison, Wisconsin. And anyone that's a fan of The Onion knows that Madison is where The Onion started. Okay. And started in like the late 80s. And so in the summer of 1992, right after I graduated, actually before I graduated high school, it was the last month before I graduated, we did a little trip down to Madison. And I remember seeing this little newspaper with just the funniest headline on it. And I remember picking it up saying, what the heck is this? <laughs> and reading through and just laughing my yeah. butt off. And so for me, The Onion was like, it, it, was, it was a little piece of that hometown that made it big. Mm-hmm. And so I, I took a great deal of pride in The Onion. Interesting. But, but it was right after, I, I want to say just before Trump got elected, that they just stopped being, they started being less and less funny. Mm-hmm. And, and it just became just almost mean and just mm-hmm. not funny. And so it, it, to have the B come along, and kind of replace that, but replace it from kind of a place where, where I've cut my teeth, you know? Yeah. 15 years working for Jim Dobson at Focus on the Family and, <laughs> yeah. and Family Talk. And mm-hmm. in that whole Christian conservative circles and growing up in a church, so much of the stuff you guys were saying were, was just, Adam at the time was saying was just beyond funny to me. And, and, yeah. and, and so it really kind of filled filled that, that hole that the onion kind of just left. Hmm. And so, yeah, so, I think so, there's, so there's always a lot of jokes on you never would have made that the bee makes. Especially, you know, from outside the church, there's only like three jokes you can make about the church, you know. But from inside, if you're coming from a place of love, there's so many inside jokes. And I think that was one place the bee really launched. Um, one of my favorite headlines that you guys have done was Tim Keller and the kid, the kids that oh, that that make fun of his bald made, head. Made fun of his bald head, and he <laughs> called out the, the bears, bears. Yeah. <laughs> the forty-two youths. Yeah, I wasn't around for the first year or two, but yeah, you're right. It launched right around the election uh, of Trump. Um, 
And a lot of people think that the Babylon Bee became very political. It actually has always been pretty political. The thing is, like, when it first launched, the stories that went the most viral, I think, off the bat were the more Christian culture ones. But over time, the more political ones are the ones that by far go way more viral now. They just they blow the other ones out of the water. And uh, so we always try to put a couple Christian ones out every day. We put out, like, six news stories a day out. And... Uh, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, Adam Ford was a web comics guy. He made these Christian web comics that are really clever and fun. They're kind of like the, I've heard of the Oatmeal, but it's, it's like this popular online web comic. It's yeah, huge. And he was kind of making similar comics to that. Um, he has a new site now. That's one reason he quit the B. He created his own real news site yeah. with Seth, who's the CEO of Babylon B, called yeah. Discern. It's a D I S R N. It's kind of like a news aggregator. They share news in a very concise way you get an email every day with kind of everything that's happened like yesterday and it's pretty cool it's worth checking out if you're into following the news it's a good news source for that Adam's a really private guy yeah and so what was it like for him from your perspective when it blew up what I was, once again I wasn't around for it Kyle would be the guy to answer on that yeah he does smoke cigars but he doesn't consider him somebody who, he thought we were going to like get into all this cigar new or like knob talk you know yeah so he he didn't come i was trying to get him to come anyway but he was there for all that because kyle adam immediately said i'm gonna st-, he, he said i'm gonna start a kind of like the onion but like a christian version if anybody has ideas send them to me and kyle immediately started sending those ideas just his his brain was going and if you meet kyle he's he's wired for this he almost every story you see on the b it's like 80 percent almost are him at least the articles almost 80 percent of the articles are written by him and probably a good 60% of the headlines, maybe yeah. 50%. He's just, he's always on. He's always thinking. So he was pitching headlines in one of the writers from the very beginning. And he probably, you know, he was, he was turning in multiple stories a day from the very beginning, even when he was making no money doing it. So yeah. he's been with the B, and he's been kind of the main B story guy from the beginning. So yeah, it was a pretty natural uh, transition, I think. For Adam, it was a thing he wanted to do on the side to kind of goof off, and he just didn't foresee what would happen with it. So I know it went viral. I know it went. It, it happened really fast for them, and I think he had never intended for it to be his main gig. And so once it got big enough, he just he sold it, and he's still part of it. Like we have a Slack channel where we just all talk. Yeah, Adam's part of. It. I talk probably interact with him at least once every day. You know, so he's he's still involved. We're going to have him on the podcast pretty soon. Sweet to kind of catch up with him. But yeah. he is. He's. He's not the kind of guy who does the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, like me and Kyle do a podcast. He's, he just didn't want to do any of that kind of stuff with the B. You know, he just had a very specific vision for what he wanted to do. He's a very fascinating guy. One of those guys that's always got something going on. <laughs> so who's Seth? So Seth, Seth bought the B, but really, mm-hmm. what, kind of what's his story? From what I know, he, uh, he found success through apps and tech stuff. I'm not sure what apps they were, but um, he's out of Florida. He's actually a little bit younger than I am. Him and his brother just built these things kind of from the ground up. And so he's just one of these entrepreneur guys who uh, made money. And he saw potential in the bee. He's a Christian guy. And he cares a lot about uh, freedom of speech type of stuff, religious Mm. liberty. It's all a big deal to him. And so he... I don't know. He, I think he first looked into the B. He wanted to be an investor or something like that. Yeah. 
I think Adam was in the middle of almost selling the B to a different company or a different group. Yeah. And then that fell through. So then Seth said he'd buy it and they figured it out. And that's my like third hand understanding of the story. Yeah. And so Kyle came on early on. Tell listeners a little bit about Kyle, who Kyle is and does he like cigars? Kyle likes cigars. That was our first time we met. We met at a place I really like out in Glendora uh, called Marty's. It's a great cigar shop. And uh, it was the first time we met in person. And I was like, oh my gosh, the Babylon Bee guy likes cigars. So we met up, had cigar together. Instantly hit it off. We just, you know, it's one of those people. We just, we speak the same language. So um, so we'd meet off and on. He was living in, he might have been in San Diego at that time. He was, But he's from here and he was moving back. And, uh, and so we'd meet maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. And just to pitch ideas and kind of it's, it's fun to write in person when you can. Almost all of the B stuff is written online, just you know, instant messaging. And yeah. we have a private Facebook group where we, you know, we probably pitch 300 to 500 headlines a week in this private wow. group. With you know, it has like it's probably like uh, I think there's maybe 30 people in it, but I think only about 10 are actively pitching headlines yeah. generally. So yeah, so it's fun to suddenly have somebody in person to talk to. I think for Kyle too, and. And I just kind of became a logical addition to the group, I think, because I, I had the Photoshop skills, so I do the more complicated Photoshops. And uh, Which, by the way, you guys recently had an um, article about a headline about Trump's potential impeachment, and there was a photo of all these evangelical leaders that are diehard Trump supporters and Trump basically asking, who's going to betray me? It's, <laughs> oh, they're all asking him, yeah, it's the Last Supper. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That, yeah, that was that, one of my chops. <laughs> that, that, that is such a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic Photoshop job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> where, where it's like, oh my God, you, you guys just need to get that and sell it at, on, on the website because that's something I'd probably put on my on, on the wall in my office. <laughs> Yeah, that was controversial, to say the least. <laughs> but yeah, those are kind of ones I do. Those ones Kyle send to me. He knows it's going to take me at least a few hours to get it done. So, <laughs> but it's fun. We we have some crazy. Uh, I constantly ask myself. I just have to laugh. Like I'm getting paid to do this. I'm photoshopping the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> Union Seminary. Yeah, that was the, what I was just thinking the, of the, the giant plant. Yeah. That, that refused to take to, to accept the apologies. Yeah, he did not accept their apologies and starts eating eating the college students or one of the seminary students. Oh. <laughs> that was a fun one. The Babylon Bee. And so you are on the ba- Babylon Bee launched a podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys started it, what, uh, earlier this year? Probably, I want to say late. Yeah, we're on episode early 17. Summer. 17 episodes in, and we're. So 17 weeks, <laughs> we put it out every week. You and Kyle interview just various voices. Yeah, some episodes it's just me and Kyle, we'll pick a main topic to do. Um, we've been getting an interview almost every episode now. Uh, so we inter- interview all kinds of people in the just in the in that space, so not all Christians. Yeah. Yeah, one of our first interviews, I think our first interview may have been Michael Malice, who's a He's a anarchist. An that atheist. was such a good conversation. Oh, that was yeah, I thought it was great. That was fun. Yeah, he's fun. Actually, um, he was on Rogan, right? Yeah, that's where I and, heard of him. And 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 so I, and I, I remember on his, down, his show. I remember downloading that that Rogan episode to listen yeah. to more of him. And I'm like, this dude's fascinating. Yeah, I liked him a lot when I heard him on Rogan. 
Um, I like people that don't think along expected lines, you know. So he's just entertaining. Seemed fair most of the time. He's a troll, but he admits that he likes to be a troll. And uh, so yeah, he had me on his show when I was promoting Bears Want to Kill You. Uh, when I went out to I went to New York and interviewed on his show, I was on uh, Jonah Goldberg and Eric Metaxas. And then so that kind of asked him, hey, you want to be one of our first interviews? Why not? You know, just that'd be fun. So because he had a lot of uh, things to say about how comedy can be used as a weapon, which was the topic that we went with. Yeah. So, see, so yeah, that's one thing about the Babylon Bee. Everybody that I know on the Babylon Bee, uh, we're all pretty serious about our faith. I mean, there's guys, a couple of our best writers, you know, they'll never toot their own horn, but these are the best Christian guys you've ever met. You know, a couple of these guys, you know, you know, they have kids that, you know, uh, you know, we have one guy that's got a kid with Down syndrome, another one that's got a severely disabled kid, you know, they they're living out their faith. They're amazing yeah. family men. They're just, they're the real deal, you know. They're real about their, they, the reason we can make the jokes we do is because we know, we've read our Bibles, you know. <laughs> yeah. We take our faith seriously. So there's like a, I think everybody within the group takes their faith seriously. And, you know, there, there is often stuff we really, we want to make sure we get some kind of a, a message out about a thing. Um, like recently, the whole controversy with this, forgiveness thing that happened with the Botham Jean uh, thing where his brother forgave Amber Geiger in court and there's this all this controversy like uh, this race thing going on mm-hmm. about this guy forgiving a white woman and everybody thinking she you know she shouldn't be forgiven or whatever and so we you know we felt like it really needed some just some even though they're jokes the ridiculousness of it needed to be needed to be pointed out. One thing I really treasure about the Babylon Bee is we get to point out the ridiculousness of our culture on a, on a daily basis. And uh, so I really enjoy that that part of it. And, and there's a difference between going on Twitter and spouting your mouth off or just going into a room full of people and spouting your mouth off and releasing a joke you know, through your own avenue and it's up to everybody else if they want to share it. And so it's not quite as... Uh, it's not my personality to be that loud mouth that goes in and wants to tell everybody his opinion. Yeah, but I do enjoy creating. As an introvert, it's not right. really. And also, just I, I much more appreciate when people create something to make their point. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I love the movie Get Out. I probably don't agree with the politics of Jordan Peele who created it, but it's an amazing work of art. He puts me in his into his mind for that that movie, and I and I get to see it in this amazing perspective. To me, if you know whether or not we agree, I hope. I respect anybody who who does that kind of work to make their point. You know, that's fantastic. And then you have a podcast, you right. and Doug, and I think it's out. Is this one out too? Yeah, We're running out of lighters. Out left We're right here. All right, we have to go back to the go to the Bic lighter. Yeah, the Bic. Just a little. And then you have a podcast mm-hmm. with uh, Doug. Doug and Mike Nelson. Mike Nelson called Audio Mullet. Audio Mullet. Mike Nelson is, if you ever watched Mystery Science Theater 3000, he was the human. Really? In that show with the two little robots. Yeah. So uh, he was, that's the funny thing. Mike and Doug, you know, I think you said that you have a question you asked on this podcast, like if you could smoke a cigar with anybody. For a long period of time, that was my, I would love to smoke a cigar with one of those two guys, or both was like, oh man, just at least once. And then it became a regular, I mean, we became very good friends. We all ended up, you know, we started the Chestertonian group together. Mike would drive from San Diego to go to it because he had found this, you know, home base. He loved it. Yeah. 
And then we all ended up, you know, Doug's out in Tennessee now, Mike is out in Minnesota, I'm here. So we started doing audio mullet to kind of fill that gap. So it's, uh, it is kind of the, the stuff we talk about with our cigars in our mouths, you know, just talking as if nobody else is listening. So it's just kind of a, it's a free for all, but it is talking about our unpopular views. So that's what it's about. I mean, the mullet idea is that the yeah. mullet's an out of fashion hairdo. And so this is the audio version of being out of fashion. So, uh, but it's fun. We try to keep it funny and light, but also we get into some heavy topics. And uh, I love it. It's definitely a more masculine podcast. I definitely think a lot of guys, we have a lot bigger audience of men, but uh, I love it. It's a passion project. We do it completely just for free. We just, it's just fun. That's fantastic. So, Ethan, um, right now the bee is kind of fighting Snopes. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on there because... Okay. This is something that that really is is a threat to you guys with social media potentially deplatforming you because of what Snopes is doing. Snopes is if people don't know it's this online fact checker who tells people what's real and what's not real. You know, you find a video of some guy throwing a baby up in the air or something, and then you say, "Oh my gosh, this is insane!" And then Snopes will go, "Oh no, it's CG or something like that," or they'll they'll dig up the facts. And, it started out as like a urban legends kind of website. The first big run-in with Snopes was when Snopes had a partnership with Facebook, and we had posted a, a really stupid article, you know, saying that CNN purchases industrial-sized washing machine to spin the news. <laughs> I mean, it's just the dumbest. I mean, if anybody could believe that's real, Snopes flagged it as not true and posted this big article saying it's fake which should be obviously, I still would love to meet the person who believed it. <laughs> but that had, when we got into our site, Facebook said, this article has been taken down, it's been flagged by Snopes. If you continue to post articles like this, you could be deplatformed or taken off the website. This is, you know, the whole crackdown about fake news. Yeah. And I think part of that was that they just had this whole automated thing. I think Snopes, I, don't, I assume that they... They probably get paid by the article. I don't know. <laughs> they just, it's hilarious that they would have to say that's fake, but uh, we we believe Snopes has a place in the internet for sure. I mean, you know, it's great for people to yeah. realize that, because not only, because the, the weird area that we're in, in satire, is there's a lot of people that abuse the term satire, and they just create completely fake news sites yeah. that just have headlines that would make people want to outrage click to read. Like a good example is just recently when Kevin Hart got in an accident, there was a quote unquote satire website that posted this story saying that he uh, was paralyzed for life or he was in critical condition and might die. Or just, they just took the headline people were afraid was going to be real and they made it. And then in tiny print on their about page it says we are a satire site. But really it's just a lie to get ad revenue, revenue clicks. So that's what we're up against at the Babylon Bee. And the other thing we're up against I think is you know, I think Snopes leans left, it's pretty clear. I think the people at Facebook lean left, that's pretty clear. And I think they don't get they don't get conservative humor and they think there's something else going on. So one thing that you notice on Snopes, they would fact check the onion far less often than the bee. I mean we have like thirty or forty articles fact checked on Snopes at this point. Last time I checked, the onion had, you know, twenty fifteen, I can't remember. But the onion they had category if you look at the little little text how they categorize it. The Onion was always categorized under jokes, humor, gags, something like that. The Babylon Bee was always categorized as junk news. 
which all these other fake news websites would be categorized under. So they were categorizing us as fake news. So the next thing, the big thing that happened was we had another one where he posted this joke that uh, this Georgia lawmaker, I can't remember her name, but she had been in a grocery store and had something where she said that this guy told her to go back to her country or something like that, and she posts this big thing online. So we made this dumb joke that we, she was at Chick-fil-A and the employee, because it turned out that the guy hadn't said anything, hadn't said yeah. this at all. He had said, you know, you're in the 15 items or less line. Go get in one of the lines where, because you have way more than 15 items. That was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did this joke where the Chick-fil-A, she's claimed that the Chick-fil-A guy told her to go back to her country. It turns out he just said, my pleasure. <laughs> just like, and she Snopes, made it up out of nothing. And, and Snopes, Snopes got on that and, and they, they wrote this article that wasn't just, no, it's not true, the Babylon Bee is satire. They had all this language in there about how we were attempting to confuse and upset people and create outrage, um, which I think tells me they probably just didn't get the joke. But that was when I know Seth uh, retained some lawyers and stuff, and uh, we sent a letter to them and said, you know, this isn't okay. And uh, that was kind of the big first first thing that happened. So the big issue there is that Snopes is a powerful organization and companies like Facebook take them seriously. So if they say we're fake news and then and the internet has this charge to get rid of fake news right now to yeah. make sure people are getting the truth, if we get categorized wrong, we will get deplatformed and our whole, you know, the bee would fall apart if, if we lost our Facebook. Our Facebook is our main, our main source right now probably of, uh, of traffic. Yeah. So <clears throat> that would be that would be bad. And that was the only thing that got us to launch the subscriber uh, service, because then you, you know, we're directly connected to our audience. Um, Facebook isn't standing in between, and uh, so yeah, there's, it's been an ongoing thing. Snopes, they've been mocked pretty heavily. I think rightfully so for some of their ridiculous uh, articles, and they're trying to justify themselves and the, the things they've done. They've they've changed it to. Rather than saying our stories are false, they say labeled satire. But they say that about now they say it about onion articles and they say it about, you know, the, the Kevin Hart article. We're all still categorized under the same thing where we're just labeled satire. So it's like you know, guy who makes racist joke at parties like categorized with Seinfeld. It's like it doesn't yeah. you know, it, it's yeah. such a broad category. So they and then they so to try to justify what they're doing, they created this study where they presented Babylon Bee headlines to people and asked them if they thought they were true or not. And the study uh, showed that more conservatives were tricked than liberals. But what they did is they took our headlines, they didn't have the context, they didn't have the funny image with it, and they they reworded the headline to be, like summarize. for instance, yeah, summarize or, uh, yeah. So when they, like there was one article where we had this joke that, uh, you know, CNN, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but the CNN uh, said that, that, they have like un, that they have unyielding faith in the Russia conspiracy. And uh, it was kind of drawing this parallel between how some Christians have, no matter what the scientific, scientific evidence, that, you know, the dinosaurs were sent here to challenge our faith or whatever, that no matter what, they'll believe in, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so it's kind of a joke on that. So there's this image of everybody in CNN praying and then there's a big prayer in the article that uh, they just they had this unyielding faith on about the Russian conspiracy. So they reworded it to say, would Anderson Cooper, did he refuse to 
uh, budge on his views on the Russia conspiracy. It was like something like that. Like, yeah. almost sounds like it probably is true. Maybe you know, especially if you lean conservative and have a view of Anders Cooper. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a joke. No. So that and that was how they made their point. So, anyway, it has been an ongoing. It's at the at this moment, it's been very good for us. It's really raised awareness of the Babylon Bee. You know, Kyle's written for the Wall Street Journal. Seth was on Fox News. Got a, a lot more support. Got a lot of subscribers out of it, but there is a looming danger there where if they feel like they need to, uh, or even if they're using an excuse, that's the weird thing. It's dubious. Like, are they are they trying to shut us down because we were making conservative jokes? Is that not okay with them? You just don't really know what's going yeah. on behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I, I think that sums it up quite a bit. <laughs> Perfect. So Holy Smokers become a paid subscriber to the Babylon Bee, not only to support what they're doing but then also to uh, help with uh, this fight against Snopes. And uh, let's, let's keep this place going. Let's keep this, this great resource that, that provides so many of us just laughs, <laughs> especially in this day of outrage culture, to go on Facebook and see a friend share a headline from the Babylon Bee. Yeah, please do. The subscriptions are, I mean, they, they, they at this point, they become our bread and butter, and they're really helping. I wouldn't have gotten hired on if it weren't for the subscriptions. So um, we're just hiring an assistant. Me and Kyle just got an assistant on, so nice. it's growing. And uh, yeah, the more subscribers we get, the more we can expand. Ethan Nicole, thanks for being on. Now it's time for rapid fire questions to close right. us out. Hey everyone, before we get to Ethan's rapid fire segment, I wanted to let you know we have links to Ethan's books on Amazon in our show notes. Also in those links is a link to pre-order his latest book, a children's book, scheduled for release in mid-November, Brave Ollie Possum. You'll hear Ethan describe it in a couple of minutes, but here's what the description on Amazon says. Ollie Maccarelli is determined to face his fear of the dark once and for all. But he gets more than he bargained for when his therapist turned out to be an actual monster. To make it even worse, Ollie is transformed from a boy to a possum and locked in a cage. With no way to call for help, Ollie must learn to be brave with the help of some furry friends, or he will end up a bowl of soup. I personally am confident this book will end up an all-time children's classic, so what better Christmas gift for your kids or grandkids or even future grandkids than a mint first printing of Brave Ollie Possum? It'll be a treasured family heirloom for generations. And by buying any of Ethan's books through our affiliate links provided in those show notes, you're helping to support the production costs of the Holy Smokes podcast. Holy Smokes is a nonprofit and your donations through our PayPal link, or if you sign up to become a regular supporter through Patreon, go a long way in helping us keep the lights on with the show. You can donate paypal.me slash Holy Smokes Club, or check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash Holy Smokes. And those links will be in the show notes. Now, on to Ethan Nichols' rapid-fire segment. Rapid-fire! Fire. Here. All right. I'm ready. Cigars or pipe? Cigar, er, cigars. Pipe burns my tongue. I have pipes, but it hurts. I've never gotten the hang of it. <laughs> Favorite cigar? Hmm. For a long time, it was the Rocky Patel Sun Grown. But lately, there's a cigar called the Flor de Selva, which is 
I guess popular in European countries, but this other cigar shop in town I go to a lot, they have they carry it. They yeah. just love it. It's it's a lower price. It's super clean, good Connecticut wrapper. I, just, I love it. I would assume that's probably then my the answer to my next question. Your best dollar for dollar cigar. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's uh, twelve. It's like twelve ninety nine. Out here is not bad. <laughs> Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke. I'm pretty much a beer guy. I, I, I like to have a quantity and quality. So I generally don't don't smoke with scotch unless I'm with guys that have scotch and I'll have some. But I like stouts and porters. So I like big dark beers. In my cigars. Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm constantly mocking people that care. <laughs> so if I had to pick one, I would pick Star Wars only because I love creature design and I love there's more creature design and cool robots and creatures and aliens. That's really what I'm into when I watch Star Wars. I, I'm not a religiously a Star Wars fanatic. I'm constantly giving Kyle crap for that on, on the Babylon B podcast, actually. <laughs> Marvel or DC? I guess I would have to pick Marvel, but once again, it's another that's another one of those debates. I'm like, always kind of pointing and laughing at people that care. <laughs> nickname growing up or in college or young adult years? My nickname has been uh, Eef, E-E-F, kind of like beef without the B. Our drummer in my band, our first drummer, just somehow started calling me that. And uh, it really caught on because I used it as a screen name. So everybody that knew me on the internet knew me as Eef. And there's still people that call me Eef to this day. How many chickens would it take to kill an elephant? <laughs> oh man, probably uh, probably at least in the six to seven figures, I think. <laughs> if you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? Hmm. Man, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know if it's a good question, but it's a hard one. What would they think I had done? They either probably would have think I was framed because I've always been known to be such kind of a goody two-shoes, I think. Or they might have thought with the, with the Babylon B now that I got, that it had something to do with a lawsuit or something. With <laughs> making fun of a Scientologist or something, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what are some fun and interesting alternatives to war that countries could settle their differences with? Hmm. Maybe they could like pit, like they could pick an animal and make it fight their animal. Or they could, oh, like cyborg animals. Cyborg Kind of like Robocop, where the animal already died, but then they added a robo-exoskeleton to it. So it's like robo-wars. That'd be kind of cool. Cybernetic animals. Yeah, like a cyborg gorilla versus a cybernetic <laughs> warthog or something, and they fight in a, in a pit. What's the best type of cheese? I'm not, I'm a, I don't know my cheeses that well, but uh, I like the ones that have bacon in them. <laughs> What's your most memorable cigar experience? Uh, when I came to San Diego, uh, it was the second time, I think. All the guys from that cigar forum, uh, they had a big gathering. They happened to be having a big gathering the same weekend. So they invited me out. And these guys had all, they had all brought me gift cigars because they were congratulating me for finally getting my book done. They'd kind of followed the whole process. There's one guy who I didn't, he couldn't make it, but he, he sent a cigar for them to give to me. It was like a $100 cigar, wow. uh, some super limited 
uh, let's call that Cafe Epicure or something like that. This super limited numbered cigar, yeah, uh, Cuban, and I decided it was. I just smoke it there. I mean, so I had that, and it was an amazing cigar. And that's probably the most memorable one. It's such a great gift, and such a great environment to smoke it in. And the most expensive cigar I ever smoked. <laughs> Last two questions. Okay. If you could have a holy smoke with anyone in history, living or passed away, who would those three people be? And you can't name Jesus just because so many people. Won't. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so these three separate. Or are they all going to be in the same room at one time? All going to be in the same room at one time. Whew. Well, definitely G.K. Chesterton. Easily, easy first pick is G.K. Chesterton. Um, just the he idea. He was a pipe guy, right? Um, he actually wasn't a pipe guy. That's okay. a, a lot of people. It's funny. It's almost like a Mandela effect. You yeah. Try to find an image of him with a pipe. You think you see them all in your head. Yeah. And there's none. Okay. He was cigars and cigarettes. Okay. Um, I am fascinated by Jordan Peterson. I would love—I don't know if he smokes cigars, but there's something. You know, I met him briefly at this thing I went to recently, and I just love the guy's mind. I'd love to sit and talk to him. Um, at Holy Smokes, we have people that don't smoke that do show up. So okay, all right. So Chesterton, Jordan Peterson, which I do like that. It's the first okay. time I've heard of Jordan Peterson and Chesterton <laughs> for this. For this Chesterton answer. is by far. I'm fascinated by that guy's mind. Did I have a third? Those are the two that kind of hit me off the bat, but uh, I struggle. I struggle with finalizing things. <laughs> I didn't have a third one in my head when I came, so let me just try to pull one out here. Yeah, this is why I always draw blanks and I'm like forced to think of something. I'm trying to get somebody who's not in politics and in faith, someone like in animation and all that, but uh, <clears throat> or in comics. But. Well, I'm going to go with the generic answer, but uh, he would be amazing to talk to, and that'd be C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I mean, to be part of the Inklings group, yeah, you know, it would be great to have Tolkien there too. I don't know. I might, if if Tolkien's an option, I maybe I would have to replace him with Peterson. But I was trying to go for a variety. I didn't want to just say yeah, Chesterton, Tolkien, and C.S. Lewis, but that would be amazing. <laughs> All right, final question. Okay. If we're to meet one year from now, and I got a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? Hopefully we're celebrating uh, either a new book or movie. I have my new children's book I'm working on right now. It's actually it's done. It's coming out in the middle of October um, called Brave Ollie Possum. It's my first kid's novel, and I'm working on the audio book right now. Um, it's my favorite thing I've made. It's a total fairy tale, and I love it. I don't know if it'll do well or not, but uh, in my fantasy, that thing gets made into a movie. Um, so, we'll see. <laughs> what do you need to get that done? What do I need? Yeah, what do you need to get that done? I need everybody to buy the book and to become really popular. <laughs> All right, Holy Smokes community, you've heard it. And yeah, probably by the time this comes out, it could be close yeah, to coming out. We, we will have a link. It, it will be out, and so we will have a link for people to purchase. I, I assume it'll probably be Paperback, it should hard be on cover, Amazon. Or on yeah, Amazon hardcover's coming out. As uh, well as a Kindle version. Yep. Yeah. So, holy smokers, go buy. Not only this book, what's the name of it again? Brave Ollie Possum. Especially if you have kids. It's a great bedtime story. Read a couple chapters a night. Kids will love it. Brave Ollie Possum. 
it's kind of a horror comedy about a kid who gets turned into a possum by a horrible witch woman, and he has to find, figure out how to befriend the animals of the forest, and then defeat her so that he can turn back into a boy. So, holy smokers, go get that book as well as Ethan's other stuff. Bears want to kill you. The authoritative guide to survival in the war between man and bear. Dickinson Kildeer's Guide to Bears the Apocalypse, Bear Mageddon, and the Axe Cop series. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, please do. Indeed. Support this guy. Let's <laughs> let's let's see this happen. Let's see this. Let's see an option for a movie. Get and read when you read the Babylon Bee. Click on the headlines and read the articles so that we get ad revenue. <laughs> and also subscribe because yeah, you can because do a paid people... subscriber and get extended podcasts, no ads. We're working on more stuff for that. That's really what pays our salaries as subscribers. So if you love the bee, you can become a, I think a two to five dollar. I think there's a five and ten dollar option or something. So worth it. So let's support the bee. Let's support Ethan and his endeavors. And uh, Ethan, welcome to the Holy Smokes community. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is you guys have got to be my kind of people.